I remember, well, it's been a little while now when we went to the Holy Land, when we took a trip to Israel. I remember that trip to Israel. It was a great trip, and I recommend it. It's an it's a awesome time in the land of Israel. Now, people call it the Holy Land, right? They call it the Holy Land, and so when you're over there, everywhere you go, it's the Holy Land. No, I'm not talking about the Holy Land experience in Orlando. No, the Holy Land, the land of Israel. Now, one thing when you go on a tour of Israel is that you have to have a knowledgeable guide. The guide really makes or breaks the trip, and you want to have a knowledgeable guide. You want someone who knows where to go and where not to go, the roads to take and the roads not to take. You want someone who isn't in it just because it's a job, but someone who wants to make your experience in Israel an awesome experience of travel, of education, of culture. We had such a guide on our trip. His name was Zvi. He fought in the Israeli army in the 1948 War of Independence, and he fought in the Six-Day War of 1967. Of course, if you're an Israeli citizen, it's required that you serve in their military for at least a little while. But Zvi was very knowledgeable of all the history the recent history, and even some of the biblical history. Very helpful all along the way. He made those connections for you. As we were driving in the tour bus, he would yell out to us and he would say, look out to your left, the Bible come alive. And he would point out some location that we were and he would begin to tell you what took place in that field in the Bible. It was a great, a great, awesome trip. One of the important aspects when it comes to a journey is that you want to be on the right road and you want to have a good guide. You want to have a good guide. Now, Jesus, in our text tonight, in Matthew 7, he tells us the very same thing. He tells us the very same thing. When it comes to our spiritual life, we want to be on the right road and we want to have a good guide on the spiritual journey that we're on. Now, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, which is sort of a manifesto for the citizen of heaven. Amen? If you're a Christian here tonight, you've been made into a citizen of heaven, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And we've reached the close of the sermon that Jesus has been preaching here, and it's, it's coming to a close, and he's throwing out the importance here in the close of the decision that lays before every single person on the face of the earth. Yeah, there's a decision that has been laid before every soul. It's the decision that every person has to go their own way or to come into the kingdom of heaven and life everlasting. In our passage, Tonight, we'll see the importance of being on the right road and making that clear for others. And we'll see the importance of having a good guide for the journey. So let's dive in here. A couple points tonight. The first one is this. Get on New Life Way. Uh, Verse 13 of chapter 7 of Matthew, it says this. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate. And broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many 
who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Yeah, you need to get on the new life way. You have heard celebrities, and uh, I guess you could call them spiritual, some of them spiritual gurus. They consider themselves to be spiritual gurus, and they will make statements like this, all roads lead to God, right? Have you, have you heard this? You know, this type of mentality. All, all paths lead to God. It's been called a wagon wheel theology. Yeah, by that I mean this, the wagon wheel, you have the spokes of the wheel, and all the spokes are different paths that you can be on, and they all kind of head in the same direction to the hub of that wheel, and that hub is God. And so you have this wagon wheel theology that, you know, just get on the way, get on the road that you're on, and eventually you'll find God, and, and all uh, roads lead to heaven, so to speak, or all roads lead to God. Now, I want to submit to you that this is contrary to Scripture. It's contrary to the teaching of Scripture and to the specific earthly teaching of Jesus. And we'll see that here in this passage. According to Jesus, there aren't many roads. There are two. There are two roads. Only two. Here, Jesus tells us that there are two roads, a wide road and a narrow road. There aren't many roads. You're either on the road that leads to life or you're on the road that leads to death and destruction. You're either on the highway to heaven, or as ACDC put it, you're on the highway to hell. The wide road. Jesus says here, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. So Jesus begins to explain, he begins to delineate these two roads. He first talks about the wide road, the wide gate, the wide road. Let's just call it the wide road. Uh, back in, I don't know, 20-some years ago, Mary Jo and I had a band with a couple of friends. We were called Water to Wine. We named ourselves after the first miracle of Christ, and we actually had a song called Wide Road, and it was about being on the, on the wide road that leads to destruction and getting off of it and getting on the narrow path that God has for us. But let's call it the wide road. The wide road, this road, Jesus tells us it's, it's, a, it's a path to destruction all along the way, destruction in your life, one way or another. It's, it's, it's filled with hazards, and it ultimately leads to death. And, and Jesus says many go on this road, many go in by it on this wide road. Road. It's easy to find this road. Uh, in fact, if, if, you, if you haven't made your way onto the narrow road through the narrow gate, then you're just on the wide road by default. That's where you are, uh, whether you like it or not. There's plenty of room on this road. Um, it's, you know, it's got many lanes. It's wide. It's, it's just, you know, you can just get on there and go. And, 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 and just that's the way everything's going. You just get on this wide road. When I went out to Los Angeles, and I've been out there so many times now that it's like second nature, but when you get out there for the first time and you're, you're like, oh, wow, the freeway's out there, right? I mean, you get on, there's one highway that I am frequently on, it's called the 91, and it is literally seven lanes in each direction. I mean, you look at it, it's this massive thing, and all these 
uh, cars and trucks, it's just wall to wall, and you're like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do this type of traffic, amen? And, uh, but it's, it's a wide road, and, and it's kind of a picture of this road that, that Jesus is talking about. It's, it's, it's that type of road. And, and this is the road that Jesus is talking about, and it's, it's so easy to be on this road because you're just going with the flow. You're going with the flow of the world. You're going with everything, every thing that comes along the path. You're just kind of going with that. The world does this over here. You're just on the road. You're going with the flow. And it's, it's easy to go with the flow. It's much more difficult to go against the flow. It's much more difficult to say, you know what, I'm going to go against the tide. I'm going to go against the, the current of this world, the direction that this world is going. I, I'm, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to be on a, a different path. I'm going to be on a narrow road. It may be difficult, Jesus says, and we'll get into that difficulty a little bit later, but I'm going to go that road. Because it is so, it's so easy to go on the wide road. It, it's, it's just an easy way. Um, now, Jesus talks about the narrow road. He says there's a, there's a wide road, and then he says, and there is a narrow gate. In verse 14, he says, uh, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So he talks about this narrow gate, Let's call it the narrow street. And for the Christian, that's the decision. The decision before us is to get off of the wide road, the road that everyone's on, the road that leads to death and destruction, the lead that everybody's on, it just seems easy to go, and to say, you know what? God has is, is, is called me to a different path. He's called me to a path that leads to life. He, he's called me to a path that le is leading to life in the spirit, life of what God wants to do in my life, and it, it's, it's a difficult road. He says it's, it's narrow, it's a narrow gate, first of all, and it's a difficult path. Uh, and, and, and he says few find it. And some read this passage and they find difficulty with that because we like, we like to believe that, wow, man, would we help everybody find the, the, the way to everlasting life, the, the, the narrow street, the narrow gate? But, but Jesus is laying out, he's laying out the, the, the stark contrast of the two roads. And he says, look, this is a narrow gate, it's a narrow path, and it's difficult, and a few find it. The true gate is both narrow and difficult. And it's been said this way, if your road, the road that you're on, has a gate that is easy and well-traveled, you, you begin to, to do well to, to kind of watch out. To watch out because the gospel and the road that the Lord would have us on, it just stands in stark contrast to the way of the world. It, it's it's, it's, it's the, the way that God wants us to go. The way to life is narrow. It's a narrow gate. It doesn't mean that you can't find it. It doesn't mean that you can't get through it. Jesus says, I am the door. You know, come unto me and have an everlasting life. I am the door. I'm the gate. Um, and, and I believe that's one of the reasons why it's a narrow gate. It's not, you know, this guy over here and follow this guy over here and, you know, Confucius and Buddha and, and, and all these various guys mix in some other stuff. No, there's, there's, there's a narrow gate. His name is Jesus. Uh, and, and we've got to go in that way. There's only one way into everlasting life. So it's a narrow way. It's a narrow gate. And then he says the way to life is difficult. It's difficult. 
This refers to the difficulty that is found in a life, living a life in this world for the Lord, of walking the path of discipleship. Of, of taking up your cross and following the Lord. Jesus said it this way. He says, if any man comes after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. The road to discipleship means that I've got to, I'm, I'm committing my life to the teachings of Christ. I'm committing my, my mind to being renewed into the mind of Christ. Amen? And, man, you can, I can just say those couple of sentences, and we can glance right over it, gloss right over it, and those two things are difficult to wake up every day and as a Christian say, I, I, I need to have the mind of Christ. I need to have the, the, the way Christ would view a thing. We live in a culture where there are a myriad of subjects being debated, right? And, and I, I'm not really, I mean, yeah, there was a debate the other night. I didn't see it. I heard about it. Um, but there's a lot of subjects being debated. And for the Christian, We've got, we've got one, there's one way to go for the Christian, right? Getting the mind of God, getting the mind of Christ. We have a, we have a teacher, we have a rabbi, we have a teacher that we're following, and he has a, he has a, a view on all those things. And, and if I'm following after him, and I'm following on that narrow path, man, it, 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 it is something for me to say, I want to find out, what would Jesus, how, how would he view this? How would he take on this particular subject, this particular difficulty? And when we do that, it can be difficult. It can be difficult for us as Christians to go against the tide, to go against the flow of the world. And everybody's on this wide road, and we're going in the opposite direction. I remember, oh, man, the, the years just kind of slip away at this point, and I try to do this, and um, I don't know, 25 years ago or so, when, you know, I, re I remember going to a Christian festival up in Virginia, uh, Fishnet, right? And um, back in the late 80s, you know, they, they, they first started making some cool Christian t-shirts, right? Uh, you know, for years there was, you know, it was just junk Christian shirts, you know, there was just this, this, this stuff. I mean, it wasn't, and then somebody came along and they started making these really cool uh, Christian t-shirts. I think they were called living epistles. Anybody remember those? Yeah. Um, and I remember the one I, I saw and I was like, I got to have it. And it was a, it was a picture of all these fish and you know, some of them were mean, some of them were nice. I think there was one that had sharp teeth on it and they're all going this way. And you had the little Christian ichthus fish, you know, going directly the opposite way. And it was kind of like, yeah, that's the picture of the Christian life, going against the flow. And it's going to be difficult sometimes to stand up for Christ, to stand up for the kingdom that we're a part of. Remember, our first allegiance as believers is to the kingdom of heaven. Then all the other allegiances follow suit to that. And so we've got to go against the tide. One of the examples, I think, which is a great example of this is is the prophet Daniel. You look at, the, you look at Daniel and the life he lived. Now, of course, he was... He was in a group of young Hebrew men that were taken captive out of Jerusalem. They were taken into captivity into Babylon. If you study the scriptures, uh, it's, it's been said, you know, Charles Dickens wrote a book called The Tale of Two Cities, right? And in a, in a way, the Bible is a tale of two cities. 
It's the, it's, the, it's the tale of the city of Jerusalem and the city of Babylon. And if you look at those themes throughout the Bible, those, it's, it's, it's kind of like, where, where is your citizenship? Are you, are you a citizen of Jerusalem or are you a citizen of Babylon? Babylon is kind of the world and, and the system that's under Satan's control. And Jerusalem is the city of God, the city of peace, and that place where God alone is worshipped. And so you had Daniel taken into captivity, and if you read the first chapter of Daniel, you take some time to read the first chapter of Daniel, that's where Daniel makes that decision. He says, you know what, I may be in Babylon, but I'm a citizen of Jerusalem, amen? And that's the decision that he makes, and would you believe this guy finds his way all the way up to the, to the, to the top positions in Babylon, and even when that empire is taken over, remember Cyrus comes marching in on a horse, and Belteshazzar in chapter 5 is having this feast, and there's a handwriting on the wall, and it says, yeah, your days are numbered, and it's over. And that night, Cyrus took Babylon without a fight, and Daniel rose all the way up in the Persian kingdom as well. Wow, because he chose to honor the Lord, and although he was living in Babylon, he found himself in Persia. He says, you know what? I'm a, I'm a child of the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and I'm a, I'm a citizen of Jerusalem. Amen? There's a, there's a little piece of imagery in the Bible, and you find it in the New Testament. It'll crop up. Um, the Jericho Road. There's this... Uh, Jericho Road, and you, you know it, it helps to understand when you when you go over there and you see the the Jericho Road, and and you you hear the story of the Good Samaritan and these these things that happened on the Jericho Road. And once you see it and you find out how what a difficult road this was. I mean, you're kind of down in a ravine and you're going out of Jerusalem and you're making your way to Jericho, and it's this little path on the side of these ravines and these hills. And, and it's, kind of, it's kind of like, you know, that's the road. That's the narrow path, you know, and it's going to be difficult. There's going to be people out there to get us. There's going to be these things happening, but God's going to be there with us. Amen? And that's the decision that we have to make. Now, this decision between the wide road and the narrow road is the fundamental decision of, of, of all the Bible. What, which road you're going to choose, which way you're going to go. There's always been a choice in front of man, in front of every human, and let me submit the whole host of heaven. There's been a choice. There's always been a choice of life and death. Adam and Eve in Genesis, they had a choice of life and death. How's that? Well, the command was, well, I'll have it up on the screen, Genesis 2, verse 16. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, Verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So remember there were two trees in the Garden of Eden? The, the one that everyone knows is the, is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the one that they shouldn't have eaten. But there was another tree, the tree of life, that, that as I understand it, and I read it, and I've read it through many times, it seems to me that there was no command that they couldn't have eat of, eat of that tree. The only time they were blocked from eating of that tree was after they had disobeyed God's command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
and death entered them, and then God had to step in and block the way to the tree of life. As I read it, up until that point, they had free reign of the garden. Only one tree was excluded. And that is the fundamental truth, uh, choice that is before every person, to eat of the tree of life or to disobey, and it's represented in that eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, what's, what's interesting is that there's another thing that happens when God is going to bring Israel back into, he's, he's led them out of, by Moses, out of Egypt, out of captivity. They've wandered around in the desert for 40 years because they disobeyed God at Kadesh Barnea. They didn't go in and take the, take the land like they were supposed to. They wandered around. Many of them died. But God gave them a command right before they were going to be taken into the land. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter, well, there's this whole scene in Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30. Um, yeah, Deuteronomy, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's this fun stuff. And, uh, and so there's this, there's this scene where God commands them, and he says to them this. He says, when you come into the land, when you come into the Holy Land, um, I want you to do this. I want you to come in. You're going to come in at Shechem, and you're going to come into this place where there's two mountains, uh, one of them was Gerizim and, and uh, Ebal, I believe. And basically, here was the setup. We're going to divide the nation into two groups. And we're going to put half of the nation on one mountain and half of the nation on the other mountain. And everybody on this mountain is going to say all the curses of not obeying God and following God. And they went, and if you, if you disobey God this way, this, this, you know, blah, blah, and you read it there in, in, in that passage, and it's all the curses that, that come on the, 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 the people that, are, that choose death. And then the people on the other mountain, the other half of Israel, they, they counter with all the blessings. And they say, but if you do this, and if you serve the Lord, and if you love the Lord, you're going to be blessed. And if you serve God and your family, and if you do all this, it's going to be blessed. And so you have this thing that's happening. It's the, the mountain of curses and the mountain of blessings. And you get to the end of it. I was actually going to read it, but for sake of time, you can read it if you want to later. Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 20. But I'm just going to pick it up at verse 19 for us. And he says this, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. And here it is, the fundamental decision that is before every single person. To choose life or to choose death. So we see here the choice of the roads. It, it, it's, it's, it's not about what's convenient in life. It's not about what is kind of expedient in the moment. You know, serving God is, is it's, it's choosing life. Choosing the narrow gate, the narrow way. Choosing to go against the path is, is, is to stand up and say, you know what, I, I've chosen life in the, in, the midst of a, in, in the midst of a culture of death. I, I've stood up and I've, I've chosen life. Wow. I, I've been one, and I, I don't mean to single this out, but I've always struggled to understand interfaith marriages. 
I just, I've always struggled. To, I see these people, well, we're going we're gonna to raise the kids half the time over here in Judaism and half the time over here. And, 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 and I just rack my brain and I go, what? What on earth is this situation? You know, if, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me help you out. The Lord says it this way. He says, do not be unequally yoked with someone who doesn't share the most fundamental thing in your entire life. It's like saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and attach myself to someone who hasn't chosen the same path as me, who hasn't chosen the, the same road as me. And, and, and it, never, it, it, it never works out spiritually. It may work out as a marriage in some, in some way, but it never works out spiritually. The kids grow up in confusion. Most of the, well, what, let me t- put it this way. What I see is the kids grow up, just let them do whatever they want to do. And that's the opposite of what Judaism and Christianity would teach somebody, right? You don't, you don't, you don't raise your kids, I'll just, just let them do, just leave them alone and let them figure it out. You heard that? I hear it all the time. The Bible I read says, train up a child in the way he should go, and, in, and when he is old, he will not depart from what? The path. The, the idea there is to initiate the kids on the path, to start them on the path. You're the guides. And that just leads into my next point here. Bad guides. <laughs> Let's pick it up, verse 15. I got to hurry, right? Verse 15, bad guides. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So you, you, you want to be on the right path. You want to be on the right road. Amen. And, and you want to have a good guide. You don't want to have guides in your life that are going to lead you astray from the fundamental path that you've chosen, which is the path of life, the path of new life in Christ to be a citizen of heaven. Once we're on the right path, the narrow street, the new life, we've got to make sure that we have a good guide. Now, the guides, for the most part, well, you know, let's call them pastors, spiritual leaders, but pastors. The pastors are the guides, and there are good ones and there are bad ones. Now, the, the criteria that Jesus gives us is not based on how talented the person is. It's, it, it, it's, it's not how funny they are. It's not how smart they are. It's not how, well, you know, I really like him because he's, you know, got funny jokes, or I like to go over there because blah, 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 blah. No, that, 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 that's all fine. You can have a serious guy, a funny guy, a educated guy. You can have a guy like the, the, the apostles, right? They were uneducated, many of them. But, but God says, Jesus says, hey, there's some bad guides. There's some bad spiritual leaders. And the criterion that Jesus gives is about the motivation of the guide. The motivation of the guy. Are they there to serve or are they there for their own selfish reasons? We're told here to avoid false teachers and false prophets. False prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They're in sheep's clothing. This is to say that 
that in that sense, they, they probably more or less were shepherds or trying to be shepherds. The, 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 people, the, the people that wore sheep's clothing were the shepherds, right? Because that's what they could afford. Just take some, get some wool from the sheep, right? And, and this is where you get the whole imagery of, of you know, taking advantage of the sheep and shearing the sheep. And, you know, and, and as I, so you have these guys walking around in sheep's clothing. They, yeah, these are the shepherds, but, but, but they're taking advantage of the sheep. They're not serving the sheep. They look and dress like shepherds, but Jesus says they're ravenous wolves. They're there. A ravenous wolf is just in there to take, to take what they want and to get what they want out of it. It's, 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 a, it's a selfish thing. Now, one of the ways that, that in our day that things have turned is that some of the shepherds along the path, they've, they've, they've said, you know what we're going to do is we're going we're, we're gonna to just soften up the gospel a little bit. You know, we're going we're gonna to just... You know, we're going to smooth it around the edges a little bit so it's not so, you know, it's not so abrasive. It's not, it's not so, uh, you know, all, all these things. It's, let's, let's make it more palatable. Let's make it more palatable for people. It's not palatable. <laughs> the gospel is not palatable. It's Jesus died on a cross. He died on a cross. He died on a Roman cross. He was crucified. For sinners, he, he, he died in the, in, in the way that was, that was prophesied that he would. And it's not palatable. We, we were, if you've never sat there and, and, and tried to figure out the gospel in your head and say, how, how is this the plan of God? And, 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 and it, it coming just absolute contrast to your mind and everything, it, it, it's, it's not palatable. But it's the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes, amen, for the Jew and for the Greek. We were just down at one of our sister churches in Fort Lauderdale this past week, at one of the largest churches in the country, and they're teaching through the, the book of Acts, and their slogan for the teaching is um, against the world for the world, that the gospel is literally stands it, 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 it's in stark contrast to the world, to the mindset of the world, to everybody who's on that wide road. The gospel stands in contrast, and, and in that way, it's, it stands against the world, but it's for the world. It's for the world. It, and so if we take away from what the gospel is to somehow make it palatable, to somehow make it less offensive or whatever it is, we've taken away, we're, 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 we're playing with fire. We've taken away from the gospel message. And, and, and this is what's happened. And it's nothing new. It's nothing new. Jesus is warning believers here, those that are following him here in Matthew chapter 7, he's warning. He's saying, watch out for these false prophets. Watch out for these bad guides. Paul warned against them. 2 Timothy 2, turn over, or 4, turn over there real quick quickly with me. This is a familiar passage. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look down at verse 2. This is what Paul told Timothy, who was the pastor there at Ephesus. And he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. He says, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers 
and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful, Timothy, in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So here's Paul warning. He says, look, this is what's going to happen. This same church, this is where Paul meets, you know, in Acts chapter 20, this is where Paul meets, he's coming back from Rome, and he's headed to Jerusalem, and he meets the elders of this church at Ephesus. He says, I'm going to meet you there on the beach in Miletus, and, and he meets them there, and, and he says, look, I, I, I am innocent of the blood of all men, and here's the reason why, because I've declared to you the whole counsel of God. And here's what's going to happen, you, you guys who are, who are leading the church, beware, because the false teachers, the wolves are going to come in, and, and they're, and they're going to... They're going to do this. They're going to do what, what Paul tells Timothy. And, and this is what happened. This is the first century. So you have Jesus warning. You have Paul warning against this. You have Jude. Jude, in, in that little small epistle, you ever, I, I, I'm crazy because I, I, I like the minutia of everything. And I taught through the, the, the epistle of Jude, 24 verses. It was like 15 weeks. You know, but you look at that book. I mean, there's an unbelievable amount of stuff packed into these 24 verses, the references that, that Jude makes. And here's what Jude says in the opening of the letter. He's going to write to the, these people, and he says, look, I'm a, I'm, I was going to write to you and, and just to exhort you and all this. And he says, verse 3, he says, I found it necessary to write you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered for all the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So he, he says, look, I, I was going to write you and I changed my direction of this letter. And I, my purpose now is to, is to exhort you to contend for the gospel that was once and for all delivered to the saints. And he says, for certain men have crept in. The, the idea there is like stealth. They came in by stealth. They came in, he says, they came in unnoticed. How did they come in unnoticed? Well, because they were, they were pastors. They were leaders. Oh, they were gifted. They were this, they were that. They wrote books. They had TV shows. They've got all kinds of stuff going. Oh, this is incredible. No, they came on unnoticed. And here's the thing. We've got what, what, what Jesus is talking about in this passage is he's talking about being aware of the false prophets. And here's how you identify them. You look at the fruit. You look at the fruit of what the ministry produces. Is the goal of the ministry to produce disciples of Jesus Christ? Or is it to gather a crowd, to, to puff up the image of the pastor, to create some type of a... Of a, of a empire of some kind what is it because the the command the commission is sure go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples baptize them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and teach them to observe and obey all things that i have commanded you that's that's the command that's the commission that's the thrust of the entire church and this is what we've got to be about so we've got to be we've got to be Watching this, the, the, the true the, the believer has got to be watching. He says, uh, You will know them by their fruits. Verse 16, let's go back to Matthew and we'll wrap it up. Okay? 
Matthew 6, 7, verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. He says, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, he's asking a question, and the answer is no. All right? It's like, yeah, the answer is no to the question. You don't, you don't gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear, bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. And so he's, he's basically saying, look at the fruit, look at what is coming out of the ministry, look at what the goal is of the ministry, the motivation, what is set forth. And this is whether you'll know if it's a good, if it's, it's a good guide, a good guide, because you need a good guide on the right road, amen, on a highway to heaven. So we've got to be watchful. Uh, I'll close with this. I, I don't know what, Matt, years ago, we had this thing where, and I don't know how we came up with this, but it was, we, we had this thing where if something was super phony, something just came off as super fake, me and my friends, we had this thing, it was called the phony meter, you know? And if we, we were listening to some guy or listening to something or whatever, and it was like the phony meter, and, the, and, and, and we were like, no, 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 ding, 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 ding. no, that's, that's just phony, that's fake. And it was something about my, my generation. I mean, you know, we, we, they, they did say about my generation, look, we want something genuine. We want something real. We want something, you know, just, just, just shoot it to us straight. Don't, don't give us all this song and dance. Just, just give it to us straight. And, and so we had this phony meter. And we need one of those. Amen? <laughs> We, we need a phony meter. We need, we need, it's called the Holy Spirit that can look and, say, and recognize and go, no, that's not, that ain't, that don't fly. That don't work. That's not going to cut it. What is this guy doing? You know, and the phony meter, and I see it, and I have, a, I have one, and it will go off. And if yours is broke, you need to get it fixed. <laughs> And open up a new store. Yeah, no, no. This is the store. This is the this is the fix it. The, the phony meter fix it center. Get your phony meter fixed so that you can recognize. So you can look and say, look, is this good fruit, or is this some kind of crazy worldly whacked out thing that's going on? Look at it. He says you'll know them by their fruit. I'm not picking on any names, but you know what I'm talking. Some of this stuff, you know. God has called me to travel the world, and I need a $67 million jet by next month to carry forth the gospel. What? No, what you need to do is go down here to the used car lot. I got a friend, you know, by my business, he'll sell you a car. And if you need a plane ticket, we'll work on that or whatever, but this is craziness, some of this stuff. And, um, you know, I thought, about, I thought about it, you know. I mean, the apostles, you know, they, 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 they traveled. You know, but I don't, I don't ever remember reading a letter where Paul says, 
I, I need one of these Roman, you know, boats <laughs> for my next missionary journey. No, he was, he was making his way, you know, buying a ticket on his way back to Miletus, you know, <laughs> shipwrecked a couple times, <laughs> right? Man, you read Paul's testimony. Man, this guy, you talk about a narrow path and a difficult way. He did it. But get your phony meter fixed. And um, you, need a, you need a good, you need to be on the right road. You need to be, have a good guide. And the best guide that there is, is our senior guide. Amen? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's the shepherd of our souls. And he will steer you in the right direction. And, I, and we're going to touch on this next week. But the more you get to know the Lord, the more you should be able to discern whether or not Jesus is okay with something. Amen? Amen. If the closer you're walking with the Lord on this narrow path, I think the, more, the, the easier it will be for you to discern, you know what? No, that's not the right direction. And... And we go forth in the love of the Lord to carry forth this message, but realizing that we're in a life and death situation, and you want to be on the, the highway to heaven.